When I was a young adult and a fairly new Christian, I had a spiritual mentor named Dan. Dan was in his 40s, he'd been a believer a long time, and I was so grateful because he took me under his wing. He invested a lot of time in me to listen to me, to pray with me, to offer me advice and counsel. And he, because of the way he invested in me, he really helped me to grow up spiritually. And there's a lot of things I learned from Dan, but there's one piece of advice in particular that really stuck with me, and it really shaped my life in significant ways. And here's what Dan said to me. Bruce, I hate to say it, but for many years I was a spiritual crybaby. Isn't that an interesting way of describing yourself? Whenever I experienced hardship, I would call out to God, Why me? Whenever I found myself in a difficult situation, I would whine, get me out of this, God. Every time life did not unfold the way that I wanted it to, I would complain and ask God, why aren't you blessing me? Thankfully, Dan said, our God is a patient and loving father because he's put up with a lot from me. And over time, he taught me to be less self-centered and more Jesus-centered. And when I made that shift, when I started looking at life from God's perspective, then I began to see God's purposes much more clearly. And I could see God's purposes even in those times when I didn't like what was happening to me. And Bruce, he said, that made my life so much richer. Well, I took Dan's advice to heart and it changed the way that I looked at my own life. And I began to see God's purposes when life took seemingly strange turns. I began to see how things that didn't make sense to me could in fact make sense to God. And here's the reality. Jesus wants you and I to live richer, broader, deeper, fuller lives. And we need to have a different perspective in order to do that. We need to have God's perspective. And when we embrace God's perspective, then we can see his purposes so much more clearly. And when, in the course of life, the things that we're doing take on godly meaning, oh, then life truly is so much richer. It always is rich to know that the things that we're doing are filled with godly purpose. That's the bottom line of today's message, that a richer perspective leads to a richer life. Because then we can see and understand and participate in the purposes of God. And this is what the Apostle Paul spells out in the first 13 verses of Ephesians chapter 3. And he begins with a tough topic because he's going to begin by telling us that suffering, yes, even suffering, can have rich spiritual purpose. Let's take a look and let's let God speak to us now through his word. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I've written briefly. Now that sentence, <laughs> that, that, that is a vivid sign of what we talked about previously, that Paul is 
that Paul is dictating these letters. <laughs> he's not sitting at a desk carefully crafting his words. And as he's speaking to his secretary who's recording this, he is obviously doing in this moment something that you and I often do. We start to say something, and then a thought pops into our head that's related but not exactly in the same stream, and we go off on kind of a tangent. And we wind up with a sentence that's not very well crafted. And yet, despite that, it's not hard to figure out what Paul's saying here. He's reminding the Christians in Ephesus that he's in prison because of his ministry to Gentiles like them. And he doesn't use the word suffering here, but he does later on at the end of this passage, down in verse 13, 13, to refer to his circumstances. So we know that this time of imprisonment is really, really hard on Paul. But what's amazing is, as he describes this, he's not upset by it. In fact, just the opposite. Paul actually sees profound spiritual purpose in his suffering. And this becomes clear when we contrast the reality of Paul's situation with the way he describes it here. Because here's the reality. He's under house arrest in Rome. He's been arrested based on Roman law. He's being guarded by Roman soldiers, and he's making his appeal through the Roman legal system. Very clearly, then, Paul is a prisoner of Rome. And yet, as we just saw, he claims to be a prisoner of Christ Jesus. How does he arrive at that conclusion? It's all a matter of perspective. You see, when Paul was arrested, he could have viewed his situation through the lens of self. And when we do that, we reach our conclusions based on how circumstances affect us. And if Paul would have adopted that approach, then he easily could have said something like this. Why me, God? I was doing the work that you asked me to do. I was preaching the gospel. I was leading people to faith in Jesus. I was starting new churches dedicated to Jesus in all kinds of places. It was all going so well. Why did you let me become a prisoner of Rome, God? That's not fair. Now, if we're honest, I think it's likely how you and I commonly respond when hardship intrudes into our lives. Particularly when things are going well, and particularly if we think, oh, this thing is going so well for God, why would God let it be interrupted? Paul, though, doesn't blame God. He responds very, very differently. His way of response is not only different, it's better, because rather than view his situation through the lens of self, he views it through the lens of faith. As a result, he reaches a dramatically different conclusion about what's taking place. Because he has a faith perspective, he's able to say to himself, Rome's not in charge. God is in charge. And therefore, based on what Paul has written here, I think the logical inference is that when he was in prison, he must have reacted something like this. 
God, I was doing the work that you asked me to do, and I was producing a lot of spiritual fruit. There's no logical reason why you would want that work stopped, and you could have prevented my arrest if you wanted to. And since you didn't, then I'm not really a prisoner of Rome, Jesus. I'm your prisoner, Jesus. Oh, and this means you must have some deep spiritual purpose for what's taking place. There's a reason, Jesus, why you want me jailed. Do you see what a difference it makes to have the right perspective? And because Paul responds to his imprisonment with the rich perspective of faith, then his detention is not meaningless, it's not an irritation, it's meaningful. So he doesn't mope around and feel sorry for himself. He doesn't complain to God. And instead, he uses his time productively to write letters of encouragement and instruction to a whole array of churches. And here's something really vital for us to grasp. Paul obviously would prefer not to be under house arrest. He'd obviously prefer to be completely free and able to roam around and visit churches like this one in Ephesus personally. He'd much rather be face-to-face with people than send them letters. Yet particularly in that day, when travel is slow and arduous, it takes Paul a long time to make the rounds of the churches that he's concerned for. Those are major expeditions. But just think about this, in the confines of his house, he can dictate a whole lot of letters and impact many more churches much more quickly than if he was free. And you see, it's actually rather ironic. By limiting Paul's physical circumstances, God exponentially increases Paul's spiritual impact. And Paul understands this. He he gets it. He sees God's purpose in his limitations. Oh boy, I wish I could get a hold of that principle. (laughs) He sees God's purpose in his limitations. And so he wants his friends in Ephesus to know that he's suffering But he's not looking for their sympathy. He wants them also to embrace this richer spiritual perspective so they will understand that Rome's not in charge, God's in charge. So they will understand that God has purpose in Paul's confinement. Now, it's hard for us to find direct parallels with Paul's circumstances because our lives are very, very different. Yet the principles Paul lays out here are are universal. And so for us, just like for Paul, many of the difficult situations of our lives can become not just bearable, but actually meaningful when we understand God's purposes. And therefore, whenever you and I face hardship or suffering, it's best if we don't pray, Lord, why me? Or, Lord, get me out of this. But instead, 
to learn to pray this way. Father, help me understand what purpose you might have in what I'm going through. You see, it just might be that God may actually have a purpose in asking us to endure a long illness or to go into the hospital. He may have a purpose that he wants us to uncover when we lose a job. When we face twists and turns in life, we need to pray and look and see what God might be up to. And when we can see our circumstances from God's perspective, then even the hardest aspects of life can and often will have meaning for us. And oh, that makes life much, much richer. So Paul wants us to know that while suffering is hard, it can have purpose. And of course, there are other hard aspects of life that we have to deal with. And they also can have purpose. And here's another big aspect of life that we often struggle with. It's the area of change. Change impacts us in a very different way than suffering, and yet the changes that you and I must endure in life often are not easy at all. And that's what Paul writes about next, because God turned Paul's world completely upside down. You see, in order to be faithful to God, Paul had to embrace a completely new understanding of God's purposes in the world and embrace a new way of living out those purposes. And so as we continue on, Paul's going to help us see that dramatic and uncomfortable changes often can have profound spiritual purpose. Look at verse 4. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. Now, as we've talked about previously, under the old covenant, God's purpose was to have the Jews serve as his chosen people. And then Jesus showed up and God instituted a new covenant and everything changed. Everything changed. God revealed a new purpose to bring Jews and Gentiles together into this new community called the church and to make a new person called a Christian, a follower of Jesus. And God wanted these two groups, Jews and Gentiles, which historically had hated each other, God said, I want you to find common ground through Jesus. And Paul calls this plan a mystery. And he uses that term 
because the plan to unite Jews and Gentiles wasn't fully revealed until Jesus showed up and made it perfectly clear. Now, if you've been listening to these messages every week, and here I am talking about Jews and Gentiles, you might be saying to yourself, you know, Bruce, we've heard about this before. (laughs) You've been talking about the Jews and Gentiles almost every week. And why is that? Well, it's because Paul keeps bringing it up. And Paul keeps bringing it up again and again and again and again. And so the question isn't, why is Bruce repeating himself? It's why is Paul repeating himself? And here's why. It's because when God revealed this mystery, it was shocking. This revealed ministry turned centuries of Jewish and Gentile understanding upside down and it impacted Paul in a deeply personal way. Paul originally was trained as a rabbi. And he was devoted to the Jewish law and to the Jewish people and to to Jewish traditions and customs. And as a faithful religious Jew, he hated Gentiles. And when Christianity emerged, he persecuted Christians. For him, that was normal. That was usual. That was customary. From his perspective, that was the way things worked. And he was sure that was the way God wanted things to work. And yet now, because of this revealed mystery, Paul needs to embrace a new understanding of God and God's plans for humanity. But it's even more than that. Paul has to embrace a whole new way of life. Because God yanked on Paul hard and sent his life in a completely new direction. So instead of being a rabbi to the Jews, Paul became Jesus' messenger to the Gentiles, his former enemies. And when we understand that, then it makes sense that Paul can't stop talking about it because it's the most radical thing he's ever experienced. It's new, it's different. At times, it's extremely uncomfortable. Yet Paul never whines or complains about it. He views this upheaval in his life not as a hardship, but he calls it a gift of grace. I find that almost overwhelming. Paul receives a radical, difficult, unsettling new direction in life as a blessing from God. And this wasn't easy to do. Because the majority of Jews in that day didn't embrace the message of Jesus. They stood their ground and they resisted the new work of God. And we should be so very thankful that Paul and the other apostles did not resist and they acknowledged Jesus as their Lord. But oh, it was hard. Because it's always hard to turn away from what is comfortable and known and familiar. Yet what God asked Paul to do is sometimes what he asks us to do. Because sometimes embracing unsettling change is God's plan for us. Now I'm going to be really honest with you this morning and I'm going to tell you that here I am talking about change and I hate change. (laughs) I really hate change. 
And if I had my way, my life would be routine and predictable, and there would be very little that would come in and push me around and make it odd or unusual. And yet, I've spent virtually my entire adult life being nudged, sometimes dragged by the Holy Spirit into change. In our life together, Julie and I have had to weather all kinds of changes, often changes that have been very hard to make. God prompted us to make three major cross-country relocations, and each one of those caused us to feel like we were starting over, building a new life in a new community, having to make new friends. That's not always easy. I was sailing along in a very comfortable and rewarding business career, and God pushed me out of that into the ministry. He led Julie out of the education field and then into business and then into ministry. Embracing those changes was hard. And yet by God's grace, because of what had been built into me years earlier by my mentor Dan about how to have the right perspective, then we were able to view those changes from the perspective of faith rather than the perspective of self. And as a result, we found great meaning in the changes that God asked us to make. And all along the way, God has led us into the orbit of people who've been able to encourage us in the life of faith, to mentor us in the life of faith. We've met people that we could encourage and mentor in the life of faith. We've met people that we've been able to lead to faith in Jesus and have a part to play in increasing the citizenship of the kingdom of God. Those things wouldn't have happened without some of those really hard changes. And one of the really cool things is because of change, because of moving to different parts of the country, We've met people whose experience of God is very different than our own. And they, they, as a result of that, have helped broaden our understanding of the character and nature of God. They broadened our understanding of how God works in the lives of people so we understand better, in a richer way, who our God is. We put up with a lot of disruptive change in our lives, but it has been so, so good for us. And it's been good for the people that we've been able to touch. As I look back, I find myself asking, what, what if Julie and I would have been stubborn? What if we would have said, God, we hate change. And we're just not going to step into all these new and difficult things that you want to lead us into. Yes, our life might have been a little more calm, a little more orderly. But brothers and sisters, we would have missed out. We would have missed out on the joy of being an active participant in God's kingdom purposes. And so even when it's hard, change becomes meaningful when we view it through the lens of faith rather than the lens of self. Embracing that richer spiritual perspective gives purpose to the new and even uncomfortable things that God invites us to embrace. 
And change isn't only for those who are young. God can and does prompt people in any season of life to step into new things. And so I wonder, what changes might God want to bring into your life? A new job, a new friendship, perhaps a new service opportunity here in the church or a new way to serve out in the community? I encourage you to be open to whatever changes God brings your way, even if they're uncomfortable. And when you are faced with a change, then pray and ask God to help you view it from that richer perspective, the perspective of faith. And when we do, guess what? We're following in the footsteps of the Apostle Paul. We can do that, just as our spiritual ancestor did. Paul was able to embrace the incredibly difficult changes that God was making because he embraced the perspective of faith and because of that he could see God's purposes. God has revealed this incredible mystery, Paul says. The mystery bringing all people together. Even people that previously hated each other can come together in unity through this new faith community called the church. This is God's plan. This is God's purpose. It's why he revealed this mystery. And so for Paul, all of this ultimately always boils down to this thing called the church, this incredible new community. And as he closes out this passage, he wants to remind us that we, the church, have a deep and lasting spiritual purpose. And the particular purpose that Paul lays out here is very different than what we usually think of as the purpose of the church. And in order to understand it, we need to adopt God's richer spiritual perspective. Let's continue on. So that through the church, that's we, that's us, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. Isn't that an interesting way to describe suffering? There's glory and suffering. But what we want to zero in on here is, is what Paul says about the church. And he talks about, talks about the heavenly places and the, the things going on with the, the beings in the heavenly places. And he's referring to this spiritual world that is all around us. And for a whole bunch of, of reasons, we in the Western world often are pretty oblivious to the reality of the invisible spiritual world. But in the first century, they weren't. They were very aware that there are spiritual beings we cannot see, but who are real. And what Paul is saying here is that the message of Jesus, this message of peace and unity and reconciliation, people getting reconciled to God and getting reconciled to one another, that message is being made known not just here on earth, but also in the heavenly realms. 
what we do is we are announcing the gospel here and there. <laughs> and it may be hard to get our head around, but it's true. So, so who is it that lives in this invisible spiritual world? Well, obviously God the Father and Jesus, of course, by his side. But there's also angelic beings. And there's also demonic spirits. And sometimes I think we live with the misunderstanding that angels and demons, because they're in the heavenly realms, oh, they, they, they know everything, but they don't. Only God knows everything. And therefore, one of the ways those spiritual beings learn is by watching us. Isn't that kind of wild? They learn what God is doing by watching us. And that's true for angels, and it's also true for the evil spirits who want to harass people and screw up our world. The Bible makes it very clear that Satan and his minions love to stir things up and divide people. They love it when people are filled with anger and hate and bitterness and live like this. And so God has revealed this mystery called the church. Where through Jesus, all people can be united. By doing that, God is telling Satan, oh, you're not going to succeed. Your goal of sowing hate and division and discord will not be achieved. Satan, your days are numbered. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, Jesus says that, that he's going to build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. What he wants us to know there is that nothing in the physical world or spiritual world can stand against God's church when we faithfully follow Jesus in unity. So we, the church, have this tremendous purpose. What we do together speaks volumes to the world around us. It has great earthly value, and it speaks volumes to the beings in the heavenly places. What we do has incredible cosmic value. As we live by faith, we demonstrate to Satan and his demons that he is a defeated foe. As we invite others into the church and we overcome hatreds and prejudices, as we overcome anger and bitterness, and, and as we live out the unity of God's church, we demonstrate on earth and in the heavenly places that Jesus Christ is Lord. Our actions are a bold statement to the spiritual powers in the heavenly realms that they are powerless against the church of Jesus Christ. And I think it's incredible to realize that when God's people trust Jesus and when we follow Jesus and when we love as Jesus loves, then Satan's power is taken away. That's how we neuter the devil. <laughs> and here's something important to realize. That happens not because we're extraordinary people. It happens because we love and serve an extraordinary God. Our life together as the church takes on a whole new meaning 
when we embrace the right perspective. This richer spiritual perspective. This perspective that tells us what we do matters here and it matters there. Well, here's how I'd summarize the key points of this passage. Paul understood that God was at work in every circumstance of life. And therefore, as he makes clear here, his imprisonment had purpose. The dramatic and unsettling changes he experienced had purpose. The church of Jesus Christ was created to fulfill God's purposes. And then Paul, as a member of the church, was helping to accomplish those purposes. When Paul embraced the right perspective, he was able to see rich spiritual meaning in virtually every aspect of life. And I think that Paul was able to see meaning especially in suffering. He writes about that here and he touches on it in many of his letters. He writes about what he endured for the sake of Jesus. But when he writes about those things, he wants his readers to know that suffering never is pointless. God has purpose in it. And most of us won't ever suffer the same way Paul did, but the, the reality is God may bring the challenge of suffering into your life and mine in other ways. And the only way we ever can make sense of suffering is if we embrace the right perspective if we're able to view it through the rich perspective of faith. Years ago in a prior ministry, there was a guy on our church staff named David. He was our youth minister. David and his wife Jackie were just incredibly gifted at reaching teens. And they were drawing all kinds of teenagers into the church youth group. Some of these kids were very far from God. And David and Jackie were bringing them in and creating an environment where they could explore what it meant to become a follower of Jesus Christ. So this ministry is unfolding. All kinds of good things are happening. And then Jackie becomes pregnant. And while that little baby is growing in her womb, the doctors run some tests and finds out that she has a major life-threatening birth defect. It's a known condition And babies born with that condition inevitably die before they reach age two. And so the doctors said to David and Jackie, you need to abort this baby. Well, needless to say, getting that news about this defect in their daughter-to-be was hard. But they said, we're not going to abort. God is the one who holds the power of life and death in his hands. So we're going to leave it up to him. So Jackie finished her pregnancy and little Molly came into the world. And Molly was a little sweet and precious child. God blessed her with an incredibly sweet spirit, this bubbly personality, a great little smile. Just for her to survive, the doctors had had to put a shunt in her brain so there was this big bulbous protrusion on the side of her head which was a vivid reminder of her fragility. But you know what? There was something about that child that was 
incredibly supernatural. I don't know any other way, way to describe it. When, when Jackie would bring Molly to the youth group, all of these teenagers would flock around and they wanted to ooh and ah over Molly. They wanted to hold Molly. And I have vivid memories of some of these cool, tough, hard teenage boys. <laughs> Can I hold her? And they'd put little Molly in their arms and their faces would just be transformed. Molly was just like a magnet in some ways. And yet raising this little child and caring for her was a joy and a burden. It wasn't easy physically. She had a lot of problems. But she was a happy little baby. And she was overwhelmingly loved in her very short life. And when she did die, just before her second birthday, as predicted, it was heart-wrenching. I can tell you, though, I've never seen... I've never seen so many teenagers at a funeral service for a baby. As part of that service, we had an open microphone time. And teen after teen after teen came up to the microphone and talked about how God had touched them through that little baby. One of the guys, a former street gang member, told about being invited to come to this church and to this youth group, and he wasn't sure he even wanted to be in a church. But he said, the first time I walked in and I saw Molly, he said, my heart just melted. And he said, I didn't get all this God stuff, but I had to keep coming back to see her. But because God used Molly to bring me back, then I was able to hear the gospel from her dad. And I became a follower of Jesus. That little tiny baby was a spiritual ambassador for Jesus. Her life was short, yet so very, very rich. But she wouldn't even have had a life if David and Jackie had refused to embrace God's richer perspective. When they got the news of Molly's birth effect, they could easily have seen it through the lens of self and said, oh, we're not going to put ourselves through that. That is going to be too gut-wrenchingly hard. And they could have just ended the pregnancy. Instead, they viewed that situation through the lens of faith. And yes, that road was a lot harder. It was a road with a lot of suffering. But oh, that road was so very, very rich. Molly's life was full of love and full of purpose. And God used that little baby to increase the citizenship of the kingdom of heaven. Brothers and sisters, far more than we realize, suffering so often does have purpose, and yet we're going to miss it. We won't see it unless we can view it through the perspective of faith. And then when we do, just like the Apostle Paul, just like my friends David and Jackie, 
we can find meaning. Deep, significant, spiritual meaning in even the hardest moments of life. Let's pray. Father, it's so amazing to read about the Apostle Paul and the, the things that he had to endure, the suffering, the changes, and, and Father, you gave him an incredibly new and rich perspective which enabled him to find his way through the ups and downs of life and all the new and different and hard things you brought his way. Please help us to be inspired by his example. Please help us to follow his example. I pray that we too would embrace life from a richer spiritual perspective so that we will be able to see your purposes at work in all things and therefore can treasure the incredible richness of our lives. Thank you, Father, for this example, for this piece of your truth. May Through the power of the Holy Spirit, may you just help each of us discern how to embrace this and how to live it out. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.